We're looking this morning at continuing our series, looking in the book of Isaiah. So if you've got your books, uh, Bibles, it's in the Old Testament. And we're looking at this subject, Streams in the Desert, Promise of Power. (laughs) Hang on, did I say go to the next slide? No, don't scare them, go back to the first slide. Look, Matt, let's get it straight. I'll say when to turn the slides. Um, so, yeah, promise of power. Don't get, don't get overwhelmed by that next slide, okay? Uh, so, streams in the desert. Um, and when Steve said this originally, you know, streams in the desert, I thought, oh, Steve, chick, that's, what's this streams? In? Oh, look, thank you. <coughs> thank you, Peter. No, that's not. Oh, two. No faith at all. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, when Steve originally put this title for the series, Streams in the Desert, I thought it was just a nice title. That's my lack of knowledge of the Bible, I guess. Um, just hands up on that. Because Streams in the Desert, um, which is the, the main topic for our series, is a really big theme in Isaiah. And as only as I studied it recently in preparation for this talk, I realized just how many verses there are about streams in the desert. Cue, next slide. Okay. And these are just a few which reference water and streams in the desert. And we're going to go through every single one. <laughs> word by word. We're going to go to the Hebrew. <laughs> we're gonna... No, we're not. Um, but I think, just to say, it's quite a big theme in Isaiah, this streams in the desert. So it's like, I don't know... Um, you know, people like have a signature tune, don't they? The tune that everybody knows them for. You know, um, I, was, I was part tempted to try one out, but I'm not going to. Uh, no, I won't. Um, but it's like his signature tune. Like he, it's, it just keeps coming up. And I've just got a few to go through, just to give you a few of the ones I think are really nice. So next slide. Okay, so this is just a few examples of this streams in the desert theme. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. I love this sort of rivers on barren heights. So there's nothing, you know, and it's, how, it's God doing something unusual, basically, this pitch that keeps on coming. The lame will leap like a deer. The mute will, tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Next slide. I just want you to get a feel for it. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look on her with compassion in all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. And one more. Till the Spirit is poured on us from on high and the desert becomes like a fertile field, the fertile field seems like a forest. So, you know, it's like, you know, if you're in Isaiah's church, you'd be going, oh, he's not doing the streams in the desert, is he? <laughs> Didn't we do that last? You know, it just keeps on coming, this picture of streams in the desert. So what is it all about? Well, I believe it's a picture of what God was going to do, a picture of the Holy Spirit, how situations can seem like a desert. See, Isaiah himself had had an amazing encounter with the Holy Spirit. 
You've got to remember that. Right in Isaiah chapter 6, see, it says that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah was his relative, probably, his um, uncle, he was a, or cousin. So his world collapsed. King Uzziah, being king for 50 years, and he was one of the most successful kings that had ever, they'd ever seen since Solomon. A really, really good king. And there's Isaiah, and it's like, boom, the good king's dead. And it's like everything's gone. And so he has this amazing, and what is really quite, if you study it in any length, you just think, wow, what an encounter with God he had. So he, he says he comes into the presence of God, and he said, I saw the Lord. He experienced the Holy Spirit, and the, he hears this voice similar to the one that Ange read out just now. The voice of God saying, the voice of the angel saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he's there, and he suddenly realizes that God's real. It's not a joke. He's real. And Isaiah experiences the reality of God, and he goes, I'm unclean. My lips are unclean. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I'm amongst people who've said things they shouldn't have said. And he's kind of undone. And God meets with him. And this is what he's, I think that's what's picking up in all these things. He knows that God can turn up and change things. And he sees this picture as he's prophesying, and he's, his job is to speak to the people and say, come back to God. That's the prophet's real message, is that when you're away from God, it's not good. And there are consequences to that. But when you come back to God, things can improve. And suddenly, what seems like a desert, so his, his sad experience, suddenly God can come into it. And that can be your experience. You can, sometimes I think we get used to the desert. We think, well, you know, well, we get by, you know, it's a bit hot, it's a bit dry, but, you know, we're here, aren't we? But I think there's much more for God and the Holy Spirit than we've experienced. There's a famous preacher called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, if you want to skip to slide 20, I know, it's, don't scare them too much, but he said this. This is back in the 1960s. He said, There's nothing, I'm convinced, that so quenches the Spirit as the teaching which identifies the baptism of the Holy Spirit with regeneration. Now, it's a bit technical, but I'll explain it in a bit. It said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is non-experimental. That how everyone gets it at regeneration. So when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit in full. He says that doesn't help people. He says, well, you say I'm baptized in the Spirit. It happened when I was born again at conversion. There is nothing for me to seek. I have got it all. Got it all. Well, if you've got it all, I simply ask in the name of God, why are you like you are? If you've got it all, why are you so unlike the apostles? Why are you so unlike New Testament Christians? That is the challenge. That's a challenge for all of us because churches like ours who are open to the Holy Spirit and encourage the teaching of the Holy Spirit, we're not like the New Testament Christians as yet, in my view. It's not, we're not seeing everything that could happen happening like it did then. We may see glimpses, we may see bits, but there is, there is more for all of us, I believe. And I think Martin Lloyd-Jones hits an L on the head. There's more. If you, when you read the Bible. So when I was a young man, and I know it may seem hard for some of you to believe, but when I was young, uh, I grew up in a church that didn't teach. Uh, it may have used the word Holy Spirit, 
But their view was, it's dangerous teaching, teaching about the Holy Spirit. I don't know why they had that view, but they thought it was dangerous and shouldn't really, you know, there's the Holy Spirit, but let's keep a lid on it. But there are verses that say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In fact, Isaiah says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He's the first one to say that. So sometimes some churches might want to say, well, let's just keep a lid on the thing, okay? Let's not talk about it too much. But actually, um, that's a dangerous thing to try and quench the Holy Spirit because God moves. And all around this nation, there have been churches through the 70s and 80s who suddenly came alive to the Holy Spirit. And God grew them. And there were churches that kind of tried to keep a lid on it, and they didn't grow. It's just the reality. They, they kind of quenched something. But those that were open grew. But I just want to say this morning, where are we now? You know, what more is there? Because we have not seen all that God wants. By, you, know, we're not, you could say we're just scratching at the surface of what could really happen in God's kingdom. Anyway, as I was saying, when I was a young man, I was in that church. So when I came here, first of all, I thought, I was a bit like this. I don't know what you are. Maybe like this yourself. Well, I don't believe this stuff. And uh, it's all emotionalism. Yes, yes. I just got, I've got my Bible, and I'm all right with that. <laughs> and there was kind of a pride, I don't know, maybe, um, and a resistance to the things of the Spirit. That was my initial. So I came in a little bit suspicious of God, in reality. But as I came and heard, actually, it was really brilliant Bible teaching. Actually, there was not a, let's turn our brains off and just have experiences. It was much more, this is what the Bible teaches. There's a power at work in the scriptures. And my mum had helped, had been a little bit subversive, because she practices spiritual gifts, and she's in this more traditional evangelical church. So she'd give me a book when I was a teenager. And the book was Like a Mighty Wind. You may have heard of it. And it's based this book which describes a move of God in Indonesia. And in this move of God, like the Holy Spirit falls on people. And it's just like the Acts of the Apostles. Suddenly, there are tongues of fire, miracles start breaking out. And I'm reading this book thinking, well, that's like the Bible. That's, that's like the Bible. And then I've come to my church thinking, well, we're not really like the Bible. You know, not really. You know, we, we're kind of a bit like the Bible. That is God turning up. And ever since then, she subtly, subversively got me hungry for more of God. And that's why when I came here, I may have been a little bit resistant, but actually I wanted to see God move. And I still want to see God move. Uh, when I was 18, I started coming to this church, I started speaking in tongues for the first time, and I was a bit underwhelmed with that, but, uh, it, but something changed. Something started to bubble up inside, and uh, at the end of that year, this is the first year when I was at university, I will get back to my notes, but this is good. <laughs> in the first year at university, I was asked to teach on the Holy Spirit. I'm only 18. They were brave, those people. It was a youth group, and they said, can you come and teach on the Holy Spirit? So the first night... I did a theological talk on the Holy Spirit. And I talked about how he was at creation and he was hovering over the waters. And I thought, 
it had gone okay. And as I left the, as I left the meeting, ooh, as I left the meeting, I heard people who were my friends say, that was rubbish. <laughs> oh, wasn't it boring? And I'm like a balloon. I'm going, you know, and I've heard, so as I'm going out, I hear this kind of, you didn't say rubbish. I mean, it couldn't have been rubbish, but he said it was, they said it was a bit boring. And I kind of was like this balloon got deflated. Okay. And then there were four nights on the Holy Spirit. So that was the first night. And that was me. I was a, so, but other people turned up the other nights. The third night, I came to speak on the Holy Spirit. And as I'm speaking, I suddenly experienced God. God's power came. I mean, it was like suddenly something changed. So I started speaking. And what I spoke on was the teaching of the Holy Spirit in John's Gospel in 14 to 16. Not the whole thing. But there's a particular verse which says, When the Holy Spirit comes... He will convict men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's not exactly what you want to hear about the Holy Spirit. But that's what I taught. I talked about how God comes and he convicts people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that fact that we need to get right with God. And as I'm speaking, I'm only 18, that's why. I just felt God came in the room. That's all I can say. It was like God turned up. And as I spoke, I suddenly found, it was almost like I was like watching myself going, wow, this is different. <laughs> and as I'm speaking, I just felt God's heart for the people come through and I encouraged them to turn to God. And that night, loads of them re- recommitted their lives and God turned up. I mean, I left and it all kicked off. God came. And even, to, I, I met, that's what got me into doing this kind of thing. Because I was like, well, if God can use anybody, someone like me, just standing up and suddenly God can turn up, let's, let's be open to that. And I'm still hungry for that. When I come and do something like this, I'm still thinking, well, God, can you turn up today? Can you come and do something that I can't do? Convict people where they need to get right when they're, Allowing things to get in their eyes. Maybe unclean lips like Isaiah felt. I've said stuff I shouldn't have said. That's what God, Isaiah felt as he came into God's presence. Anyway, so that was, the, that was most of the talk there. But uh, we will, we'll get back to the notes. And if we go on to the next bit. This is my main passage that I want to focus in on. Isaiah 44, which is slide six. So if you've got a Bible... We're going to read through this. But now, listen, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says, he who formed you, who made you and formed you in the womb and will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, who I have chosen. For I will pour out, pour water on thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand, the Lord's, and will take the name of Israel. So really amazing passage as you get into it. This promise that God's going to pour out his spirit. So if we go to the next slide, I've got three simple points I want to make that I think Isaiah makes 
through uh, his book. There are three things, three promises, if you like. First thing is a promise of a spirit-filled savior. That's something Isaiah sees. The promise of a spirit-filled people and what they'll be like. And I just want to talk about the promises for you, which is really what Peter says on the day of Pentecost. This promise is for you. It's not just for special people. It's for everyone. Everyone can experience the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're going. Um, But we may not get there in a straight route. (laughs) But next slide. So promise of a a spirit-filled saviour. And I just want you to, this is, I find this fascinating. And John explained this very well last week, how Isaiah is speaking into his situation and yet he's seeing something that gets fulfilled later. He doesn't fully understand what he's saying, but it's something the the New Testament uh, believers look back and say, wow, that is this, that is this right now. And so let's just read those out. So next slide. So this is Isaiah 11. It says this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from the roots of a branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So he sees this, like this root, coming up out of stump, something that doesn't look like anything's hopeful. It looks like there's no chance of life here. It's a dead stump, and yet something comes out. And this is out of Jesse, so this is out of the, David's kingdom, David's line. Things have gone pear and yet something comes. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit will come upon this figure that he sees. Next slide, Isaiah 42 says this, here is my chosen servant whom I uphold, the chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I just love that. I I didn't even remember that was in Isaiah when I was looking at that. This is what the New Testament writers come up they say well that is this Jesus is like that as he was speaking they said this is what Jesus is doing he's not shouting out he's being gentle with people a bruised reed he will not break a smoldering wick he will not suffer out I just love that about Jesus I don't know if you know Jesus sometimes people who have got um, you know, when you put up a title, Power of the, the Promise of Power, it can make it sound like it's going to be, ah, oh, I'm going to come and do something aggressive. But actually, I think there's power in gentleness. It's interesting that um, Jesus, when he was prayed for uh, after being baptized, and the Spirit descends like a dove, it didn't descend <coughs> like a, I don't know, not a dove. What could it be? An eagle. It <laughs> doesn't matter. The point is, it's something gentle. There's something gentle about the Holy Spirit, but still very powerful. And there was something gentle about Jesus. He didn't go around breaking reeds and bruising, you know, but he attracted people to him because there was a gentleness. It's a powerful gentleness, you know what I mean? It's not a aggressive, but it's just something, wow. What a, what a saviour. And then the famously Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release apart darkness 
for the prisoners. This is an amazing passage about he will take away mourning and despair. Jesus comes and, the, and, as he's, and Jesus himself gets up into the synagogue and says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And he's coming to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news to those in need. Good news is a big feature of Isaiah. He sees streams in the desert and he, seems, he sees good news, as John talked about last week. There is good news in the gospel for you. It's good to be in relationship with God. It's good news for you. It's good news for everybody. It's not a bad thing to get in on God's love. <laughs> you know, we need to be more positive about what it is to be a Christian and how amazing it is, the privilege it is to be in his kingdom. And the, the stuff God can do, he can literally, is this streams in the desert picture. It's quite amazing. It's literally like you can, it's like nothing is going on, spiritually speaking. That's what it's saying. It's like, it's like a desert. It's all dry. And suddenly, God comes. And it's like, oh, there's life. Amazing. Let's go for the video. Ooh. This is just, I just thought this was really interesting. Uh, David Attenborough video. Um, we're not going to do the whole thing. Looking at that, there's loads of these videos of deserts suddenly getting colourful flowers. You could just amazing um, something that looks dead suddenly springing to life, and that is the picture here that Isaiah is seeing when God pours out His Spirit. Suddenly, life comes. So don't write yourself off. So you say, "Well, I've never really Holy Spirit's never really been my thing." I've never really you know, moved in spiritual gifts or I've never really grown in that area. You know, well, who knows? God could come in your life more powerfully than he has as yet. And maybe you've moved in spiritual gifts and you think, well, I've done some. Or spiritual power. Well, there's still more. God is not, you know, I don't think anybody's operating at New Testament level, to be honest. I don't think anybody's really there. So we've, we've all got more to go. And Jesus, it says this of Jesus, that he had the spirit without measure or limitless. Limitless power. I love that. So when you're looking at teaching on the spirit, it's useful to look at Jesus because you get different models of different peoples. Actually, Jesus is a great model because he's a model of somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit and miracles and healings and all kinds of things happen but he's also full of wisdom there's something he does, he's not foolish in the, I'm not criticizing anybody in particular but I'm just saying there's a great John Wimber, we've got a lot to be indebted to somebody like John Wimber, I don't know if you're familiar with him the guy who started the vineyard movement but he used to talk about being normal <laughs> you know being supernaturally natural not making it kind of weird <laughs> when you're operating in the spirit and being unusual because people are, can be put off by that but we need to be open to the Holy Spirit but do it in a normal way does that make sense and Jesus was like that he was powerful there was something amazing about him but he was also wise in the way he spoke and people were drawn to him and he had the spirit it says this Matthew Henry says this 
The prophets had the Spirit moving on them, instructing us to what sort of say, but Christ had the Spirit resting on him without measure, limitless, as it says in John's Gospel. So the Holy Spirit comes on him, but he doesn't make a big fuss. And um, yeah, there was a, I was doing some research the other day, and I came across this this uh, family in Sweden. It's called the Wallenberg family, and nobody knows. Has anybody heard of them? No. That family owns approximately 40% of Sweden's wealth. So it's a ridiculous, one of these ridiculously wealthy families. But they've got this motto, and the motto is this, to be, not to be seen. And I just like something about that. I just think it wasn't, they, were trying, weren't trying to, they don't want to make a show, but they were interested in, and it's really interesting, they've got this idea of just keeping up with the times, renewing yourself, and, and just in there for the long haul. But they don't make a big show about it. And that's something about Jesus. It's a bit like that. He wasn't a showman. He, wasn't, he was like a, a voice, you know, making a big show. There was something powerful about him. So that's the, that's the first thing then. That we need to look to Jesus. When we're talking about being spirit-filled, he is the greatest model. And... Uh, yeah, there's just so much good stuff in these notes, but I can't say it all. <laughs> so let's go on to the second point. Point number two, a promise of a spirit-filled people. So it says this. Uh, again, let's go on to the, the slide. Next slide. For I will pour out on thirsty land and on streams of dry land. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendant. See, there's, there's two things. There's the promise of a spiritual saviour, but there's this promise in Isaiah of a spirit-filled people. He sees this picture in several places, and it's also repeated by other prophets. So Joel, famously, says this, about that he will pour out, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. It's amazing. So these prophets in the Old Testament saw something that was coming. So it's a bit like a crescendo in the Bible. They're just saying, well, God's going to do something. He's going to pour out something. See, in the Old Testament, it's quite interesting. On, on the Alpha Course, uh, the teaching on the Holy Spirit is very good. And one of the things is, it, it says in the Old Testament, he came on particular people at particular times for particular tasks. It's nice and catchy, isn't it? I like it. And he, and he goes through, and it's interesting to see how God came on individuals. So he came on Moses powerfully. God anointed David. And anointed just means that he poured oil on him. So anointed one, actually Messiah, means anointed one. And that's what it's talking about. It's saying God came on people. So Samson had unusual strength and God came on him. David, Moses, Bezalel, if you're interested, he had artistic abilities. God came on people, and people went, wow, that's amazing. But the promise is not just for individuals to go, oh, that's an amazing person. It's actually that it's going to come on everybody. 
And that's what you see on the day of Pentecost. So they're waiting and they're praying. And God comes on the 120. Okay, that's good. But then they're speaking in different kind of languages. And people say, well, what's going on here? I don't understand this. They're speaking in my language. And it, Peter gets up and he explains. And he explains what Jesus did. How Jesus has made a way that we can be right with God. Anybody can be right with God now. You can be right with God today because of what Jesus did on the cross. And um, it's just a, it's an amazing uh, invitation he makes. And at the end of it, he says this. He says, the promise is for you. The promise is for you. So if you're... Here's today thinking, well, I just disqualify myself. Well, I encourage you, don't disqualify yourself from things of spirit. Be open to the Holy Spirit. But there are a few things. I just want to have some features of what the poured out spirit is like. I just want to pick up. And it's in these verses. Uh, here we go. So there are, there are three things I see in these verses. Because you can't say everything in one morning about the Holy Spirit. There's so much you could say. But this bit here, it says, they will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees in flowing streams. Think, well, what, what is that? Well, a poplar tree is a tree that grows more in one year than other trees. It just grows more. And I, I distinctly remember coming to this church. I met a guy called David Lockyer, who some of you will know. Uh, he'd been a Christian for one year. Okay? One year. And he'd He'd already read through the Bible. He was operating all spiritual gifts. And he was like an angel. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just thought, and I've been a Christian for going on 10 plus years. And after talking to him at this party, I thought, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. You know, I, 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 it was just so like, what, you've been a Christian for one year? I couldn't believe that in one year... He'd gone from zero to that. You know what I mean? Just huge growth. What was that? That was the Holy Spirit in him. It was the Holy Spirit. Unusual, rapid personal growth. So sometimes you think, well, I've, you know, I'm, I'm not really growing as a Christian. I encourage you, get into the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit, help me grow. Because you can do much more than you think you can as God works in you. But you've got to be open and seeking it. But Rapid personal growth is there. So it's the idea of things springing up, like that picture we had just now of David Attenborough walking through, and suddenly stuff happens. Oh, that's what I believe the Holy Spirit does. Stuff happens when he's acting and, and working. So the other, that's one thing. The other thing is sequential impact, and I really want us to get this. It's not enough for it just to be for you. It's got to be to affect others. I remember one famous Bible teacher says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to bring a message to others. He wants you to be a mouthpiece. In fact, it ties in again with what John was talking about last week, about witnesses. There's something about the Holy Spirit that helps people witness. It helps people speak out and bring a message. So in this passage, you want to just flick back the page to the passage so you can see it there. Well, that's, and another one. Back one more. Oh, not there. Go on. Here we go. 
Some will say, this is the end of that passage I read, some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves in the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hands, the Lord's, and will take the name of Israel. It's this thing, one person affects another person, affects another person. There's a sequential impact. Okay, so when God does stuff in you, he doesn't want to stay in you. He wants you to affect a life of another person. There's a sequential impact. You could even say exponential growth. There's something abundant in this picture. And it's people writing their names. It's really interesting, isn't it? That I belong to God. There's a, there's a deep sense of belonging. So if you go back to that slide on the things that are the key things, there's this deep sense of belonging. That's one of the things you experience as you experience the Holy Spirit. It's not just, um, it's not just head knowledge anymore. It's experience. It's, wow, God's real. He loves me. Um, it says in Romans 5 about that the Holy Spirit is poured out into our hearts. That God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That there's joy. There's peace. It's, it's something quite powerful. And it affects you. And it, and it gives you a deep assurance. So this, uh, in Romans 8, it talks about that we cry out, Abba, Father, by the Holy Spirit. It's like... Ah, you love me. It's not just head knowledge, it's experiential reality. And that, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want more of God pouring his love into our hearts? But the love has to go to others. And I've just, I was a couple of testimonies I read, which I just found quite poignant. Um, one was D.L. Moody. So sometimes I think we, we can make it sound like the Holy Spirit only started working about 20, 30 years ago. God has been pouring his spirit out powerfully on people throughout the generations. Throughout the generations. And God has dealt with people and they've been affected. D.L. Moody talks about he was prayed for with these older ladies to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And something changed in his ministry. And he talks about how he was praying on his own and he was walking around, and he had a spe- an experience that he, he can barely name, where God revealed himself to me, and I had such experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. It's almost like too much. <laughs> you know, it's too amazing how great the love of God was. And Nicky Gumbel, I don't know if you know this, but Nicky Gumbel was prayed for by John Wimber, or John Wimber's team. And as he's praying... God powerfully came on Nicky Gumbel. He talks like a powerful physical encounter of the Holy Spirit. And he was, not, he was quite resistant in his head to it. But God came. And as he was, he was making such a noise, he had to be carried out of the meeting. Imagine this, Nicky Gumbel, polite Englishman, being carried out of the meeting. And as he was carried out, John Wimber said this over him. He said, God is giving that man the ability to tell people about Jesus. So this is before the Alpha Course started. That's God, through the ministry of the Spirit, birthing something. Who doesn't want more of that? And Nicky Gumbel says this in his testimony, very humble guy. It was something I was not very good at, but it was something I really longed for. Who doesn't want to long for that? The ability to tell others about Jesus in a way that affects their lives, where the Holy Spirit is also witnessing because that's the teaching of John in John's Gospel, that as we speak, his voice speaks. 
See, he convinces the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That means that as we speak, he speaks on top of it. So there's something where God comes on top of you, what you're saying. Don't you want that? God's voice comes and impacts people. So that is, that is uh, the promise of something that just explodes. And you see this in church history. This is what, when we're talking about revival, that is what we're talking about. Something where God comes. It's not a man-made thing, but God comes and it spreads one to another, like desert becoming alive again. Isn't that what we'd love to see more and more? Okay, and the final thing then is the promises for you. And I think it just what as I was praying, and I prayed a lot about this talk, because uh, when you're talking about the Holy Spirit, you really think.